everyone. Welcome to another wonderful edition of the Into the Impossible podcast. Why so wonderful? Well, I didn't have to record this one. I didn't do anything except show up and be a guest with my friend Matt Kaplan on the Planetary Society's Planetary Radio podcast. And it was Matt's swan song. I'm so sad because he is such a phenomenal, incredible podcaster, friend, supporter of all things around the universe. And I'm really going to miss him as the host of this phenomenal podcast that really got me interested in podcasting and upping my game as a podcaster. And Matt's leaving, departing as host of the Planetary Radio podcast host and producer of the Planetary Society. And he's going to be replaced by, although no one can replace him, uh, by Sarah Al-Ahmed, who's currently the digital community manager for the Planetary Society. But um, Matt's been really, uh, Matt, but Matt's really going to be missed. And I really wish him the best. And I thank him for recording this conversation way back in July of this past year with uh, with me in, in person and documenting what we're doing with the Simons Observatory. And so I think you'll enjoy it. I wanted to bring you this swan song of a great astro communicator, science communicator, friend of all things astronomical. And uh, I want to just also encourage you to subscribe to the planetary society donate to them and their podcast as well i'll have a link to it in the show notes below and i want you to leave a uh leave a review of this podcast wherever you're listening to it you can leave an asterism which is astronomers speak for a small constellation of five stars hopefully and you can do that anywhere you're getting the podcast you can leave a rating uh, but you can also leave a review on apple Podcasts, formerly known as uh, itunes and i'll read to you from a recent review that i received uh from uh, a person in the United States named P. Galay uh, calls the podcast something not to be missed and then fo- uh, follows up by saying any sufficiently intelligent podcast listener will find Brian Keating indistinguishable from fascinating, accessible, and fun. It's like magic. Thank you, P. Galay. And I do encourage uh, you all to follow up and stay in touch. Leave a review. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll have a link to the uh, video of the Simons Observatory Ask Me Anything event that we held at at the Wavelength Brewery in downtown San Diego prior to the All-Star Game not being played in San Diego. My beloved Padres got eliminated in the championship series of the NLCS, but uh, they'll be back next year and we'll have even better performance. I'll be able to stop my famous joke that the easiest job in the world is San Diego meteorologist because everything's always the same day after day, perfection. And I'll be able to finally stop saying the hardest job in the universe is San Diego sportscaster. Go Padres. For now, enjoy and sit back with the final, final swan song. The Coda on a wonderful career. My friend Matt Kaplan, Planetary Radio, production of the Planetary Society. Enjoy. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. We've talked with Brian Keating before. The experimental astrophysicist cosmologist also works, is the Chancellor's Distinguished Professor at the University of California, San Diego, where he is with the Center for Astrophysics and Space Sciences. Brian also leads the worldwide effort that is building the Simons Observatory high atop the mountains of Chile's Atacama. Their hope is to literally shed light on our cosmic origins. After years of meeting virtually, all 300 team members were invited to gather at the university last July, and many of them made the trip. It was the kickoff event that brought me to the Amplified Aleworks Kitchen and Beer Garden in downtown San Diego. They gave the July 10 public event an irresistible name. We are cosmologists. Ask us anything. When I arrived, Brian was talking with an eager young undergraduate. 
And that frequency is where the microwave background photons are the brightest. So that's where we optimize the resolution or the diffraction limit of the telescope. So yeah. What courses do you teach at UC San Diego? Uh, I teach everything from intro to physics for pre-meds to all the way up through cosmology for graduate students. This past quarter I taught cosmology for advanced undergraduates. And what's really fun is that I'll, a lot of them go on to intern in my lab or do research with me afterwards. It's really fun. I'm entering my third year in uh, astrophysics at UC San Diego. and. Uh, I'm looking at, at a lot of the uh, cosmology classes, the uh, astrophysics courses, and uh, yeah, I'm beginning my the uh, mechanics sequence and the electromagnetism sequence. Next spring I'll be teaching again the Cosmology Physics 162. You're welcome to, uh, to enroll. It'll be fun to see you there. But in the meantime, yeah, go to my uh, website and check it out. Yeah, totally. Will do. Brian and several other team members then joined a panel discussion in the outdoor setting. Minutes after it ended, beers in hand, Brian and I had this conversation. Brian Keating, a bunch of cosmologists walk into a bar. I, I don't know the, the punchline for that, but there must be one. Yeah, I'm waiting for the rabbi, the priest, and the minister to show up, man. Hopefully they'll come by soon. Those are the proto-cosmologists. That's right. Yeah, they're all interested in Genesis or the Big Bang or any of these things, and we are welcoming all of them. Just like you, and just like, I mean, what brought everybody together here today, or maybe I should say this week? I think the, the love of the universe, first of all, is palpable. People, you know, love learning about the cosmos, the universe at large, the planets, and, and, and everything else. But in particular, we're about two days in advance of the release of the data from the James Webb Space Telescope, the very first light images and spectra from this magnificent device. And people are printing it everywhere from the Union Tribune to the New York Times. Uh, all over the world, people are getting so excited about this instrument that a few hundred scientists built, catapulted a million miles away from the Earth. And we on the Simons Observatory, the project that I co-lead with my collaborators, we're hoping to dovetail our data with their data. And in combination, this conjunction will allow us to unravel, unfurl the universe, as they like to say, in more precise detail than we really could have imagined even back when Hubble telescope was launched. It's phenomenal. I'm going to come back to that, how that dovetailing might work. By the time people hear this, those first science images from the JWST will have already wowed lots of us. You surprised me when you said the thing you're most looking forward to among those first images, we know we're going to see an image of one exoplanet, that you're looking forward to that more than some of the stuff that's a lot farther out. Yeah, stuff that's closer to what I do is the early universe cosmology, the first stars, the first galaxies to form. But actually, I kind of feel like maybe I get enough of that in my day job as a cosmologist. Uh, but really what excites me is the prospect that we might someday discover life on another planet. I'm not super sanguine that that would be in the offing. I'm sorry to disappoint the many listeners of the Planetary Society. I know that Planetary Radio, they love thinking about exoplanetary species and civilizations. That notwithstanding, I do think that the, tel the the images that were released from this WASP 96B, I love that name, I got to get it on my license plate, that, those spectra really can set the stage for what we're about to see when the flood of data come in from the Webb telescope. This is just the first light images and spectra and the quality of the data that are being released just blew us away. And for us to think about, we're just extrapolating a few years from now how much we're going to know. Every single square degree of the sky that we look in, there's an exoplanet. And not only the exoplanet, we'll be able to see, we're not going to see little cities there or little green men there, but we're going to see the telltale signs, perhaps, 
of civilization, be it in the form of an agriculture or oxygenation or some event that's taking place on this distant exoplanet, if indeed life does exist. And to me, that is the most, that's the second most interesting question in all of science. The first being, you know, was there a single Big Bang? <laughs> and I'll bet, in spite of your well-founded skepticism, you would be the first person to cheer if uh, that data came back and said we're not alone. I would love that because, you know, for me to know that we're not alone in the universe is a very powerful thing because I doubt even if we do discover, uh, Webb does discover eventually life or other, the many, many other collaborations, not just Webb, this is the golden age. Someone asked tonight yeah. about how do we react emotionally to the fact that we're living in a golden age of astronomy, exactly paralleling, although with 10 times better equipment, the golden age that previously existed in the 1900s. I mean, it's not so often that human beings, forget about scientists, live in an age where they have so much a wealth of treasure trove of data coming in from the universe uh, at large as we do now. So we're really blessed to live in this time. Um, but yes, if we do find that there is evidence, I will be overjoyed with, with delight to know that because I think it will make our impression of our own existence that much more, much more stark to us. You know, we're living through a time of economic crisis, of political chaos, of, of warfare, death and destruction on Earth. And to think about, well, we did discover life potentially uh, in the next couple of years. Perhaps we will do that, but it won't be life like ours. You know, I think it's very um, uh, it's very parochial to think that we are the only form of life. Everything will be like us, but it will be maybe maybe subdominant to the type of life form that we are, and that will make us hopefully take our own life on Earth so much more tightly and be more precious and careful with our own tenuous existence on Earth. One would hope. All right, let's look a lot farther out and a lot farther back with the Simons Observatory. Tell me why so many cosmologists have gathered here and were able to come out and enjoy a, a beer or two and listen to this great panel. Yeah, so we are hosting in the middle of July, we're hosting the first face-to-face -face gathering of the 300 observers of the Simons Observatory, which is the world's premier cosmic microwave background observatory located at 17,200 feet in the Atacama Desert of northern Chile. Even higher than, I've been to 5,000 meters. You're even higher than that. Good Lord. Yeah, exactly. A couple hundred feet higher than that. Uh, and that allows us this unrivaled glimpse, almost as good as being in space, not quite, uh, but for one hundredth of the cost of the Webb Space Telescope, or maybe even less. So we are going to this phenomenal observatory site in order to make these infant baby pictures of the early universe. Every one year we would gather in previous pre-pandemic times, we'd gather in person somewhere, either UC Berkeley, Princeton University, University of Pennsylvania, or UC San Diego. And this is the year that we had slated to be in UC San Diego. And thankfully we're able to do it in person after two years being on Zoom. So this is just a joyous occasion for us. We see people hugging each other. You kiss, I got kissed by my Italian collaborator, Carlo. Uh, I hadn't seen him in three years. And it's just, you, you become a family. When you work with, you know, I would say, if you're not comfortable spending 10 years with the people you're working with, don't spend one year with them. And these are such phenomenal people. We're gonna, I'm gonna be spending hopefully 20 years with these people. We've already spent six, two more years before we get first light data from the Simons Observatory. And I hope uh, that we're funded for another five years after that. And maybe we, who knows, even beyond that. So it's just, uh, it is a family. And I always talk about them. I welcome address tomorrow at the UC San Diego, where we host the project office, the leader, kind of the, the, the center of power, where we uh, disperse all the funding and administration uh, for the observatory. It's a full-time job for m myself and my colleagues that we will you know, be setting the pathway to get those precious first light photons from this magnificent instrument built by 300 people who all happen to be enjoying sunny San Diego this week. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So as we speak, the new issue of Scientific American has an article about these big questions about the beginning of the universe, the Hubble constant, and and the fact that we still don't know, pardon the expression, what the hell's going on in some ways. You're hoping to help answer some of these questions, right? Yeah, well, to quote, you know, the rapper uh, Biggie Smalls, uh, he used to say, you know, more money, more problems. But in this case, we have more problems, more money, because we we actually uh, are, are able to look for these tensions there are anomalies in physics that don't make sense to us. And the universe is created in such a way that to test the, the properties of the smallest particles known to human beings, the subatomic particles, the neutrinos, and dark matter, which we don't know much about, dark energy, we, don't, we need the largest possible laboratory. Well, you can't get any bigger than the universe itself. So we're using the entire universe as an accelerator, as an atom smasher, if you like, as a collider to experiment, to probe the universe at the highest possible energy scales, conversely probe the smallest possible link scales. So we are learning about these anomalies, these problems that may point to flaws in what's called the standard model of particle physics, the standard standard model of cosmology. I like to look at that as Leonard Cohen said, the cracks let the light in. So where are the cracks in the standard model? The edifice, the artifice that we made up about the universe, which is a lot. We know tremendously precise details about the universe. We know so much about it that we know that it doesn't quite make sense. Mm. There are anomalies and those point to tensions that we can hopefully resolve with these instruments. So it's a golden age. The more crises, the more fun for scientists, I say. One of the things that blew me away, listening to your colleagues from some of these sister campuses, as some of the technical details, what it is taking to put together this exquisitely sensitive instrument and the kinds of things you have to achieve at, what what is it, a tenth of a degree above absolute zero? I am just marvel at the fact that humanity is capable of taking on these kinds of projects. It is, and it's not even just building it. You know, when we go down to uh, San Diego Bay, you see an aircraft carrier. It wasn't just built to be built. It was built to be going out and projecting power into the world, right? So there's an operating cost that we typically account for about 10% of the construction cost goes into each year of operations, meaning in a decade, you double the cost of the instrument. So I was calculating, and I'm going to show this in my opening remarks tomorrow, we are equivalent to the cost of, say, a Boeing uh, 737 MAX 900 MAX. You know, it's a, it's a commercial passenger jet. That's about how much our observatory cost, all told. It'd be about $100 million. That airplane costs $10,000 an hour to fly it with fuel and the pilots and insurance and everything else that maintenance. Our observatory costs a lot less to operate, but it costs about the same capital to build. So that means we can operate maybe longer than a Boeing 737 will last for. But when you think about how many parts are in a Boeing 737, how exquisitely they all have to fit together from different suppliers. We have scientists on all seven continents working on the Simons Observatory, speaking 30 different languages, eating different cuisines, my favorite thing to, to talk about. 
And when you look at the universe uh, that we're trying to unfold, of course, it's much more complicated than this instrument. But I ask you, Matt, would you get on a plane that you designed and built yourself? No, of course. So you have to build in a lot of safety and checks. And, and there are people involved. We actually have to think about safety at high altitude, as you mentioned. Wearing oxygen, we have to bring diesel fuel up, we have to have road maintenance, concrete, all these mundane things that I never thought as a 12 year old kid with my little refracting telescope looking up at the moon, I'd be thinking about diesel fuel and some generator that's not working and that we need a maintenance plan for this type of uh, conveyor belt. It's incredibly the mundane things, but without the mundane things, we don't build the instrument. So it's incredibly complicated operating near absolute zero at atmospheric pressures, pressures lower than one billionth of the atmosphere that we are enjoying here at sea level. So for all those reasons, yeah, it's an incredibly complicated instrument, machine, if you will, and uh, multiple machines that working in Congress together and, uh, and hopefully providing this unparalleled glimpse into the early universe. Just one more, the greater significance, the human significance of this. I think it's also wrapped up with why you wanted this group to get together today at a bar in downtown San Diego and reach out to other people. This has real significance for humanity and it goes beyond a lot of those terrible problems that we're dealing with across the rest of society. Yeah, that's right. So I think that, you know, science in general appeals to the, you know, it's the one thing that it used to be nonpartisan, you know, and maybe most of science can be free of politicization, but some of it has been politicized, it's true. Uh, and yet, and yet, astronomy, in particular cosmology, it's very difficult to politicize. You know, the origin of the universe, the Big Bang, and the and the distribution of matter and light and energy. And yet, I'm sure some people would want to do that. But but in any case, that type of polarization doesn't come into play in what we do. It creates kind of a safe space that we can enjoy and contemplate philosophical questions that were unanswerable up until now. Basically, this very day. And I always say on my podcast, I always say that scientists have a moral obligation to explain to the public in words the public can understand what it is that we're doing with their money. They give us this precious commodity that's fungible, their money, taxpayer to every single scientist here, every scientist you've ever known. There's no such thing as a privately trained scientist who didn't get anything from the government, which means from the taxpayer. So I believe it's our moral obligation. I strive to do that in my outreach efforts. But I've tried to inculcate that in my students and my colleagues as well, that we're giving back to the people, but really we're getting more in return. You know, John Muir used to say, by looking out, I really realized I was looking in. We're looking out on the biggest possible scales. And conversely, we're learning more and more about what it truly means to be human beings. I saw that you ran out of uh, meteorites that you were handing out to people. So you started giving away books. We'll do that at the end of this show. We'll give away another copy. We've already given away one when you and I spent time a while back of uh, your first book, right? And now you have uh, one more that's in print, which I look forward to reading. You gave me a copy today. And then there's that Galileo project. I, I was going to let you go because I know there are people waiting to talk to you, but say something about these newer works. Yeah, so I was privileged to record an audiobook, the first ever by Galileo Galilei, uh, the famous dialogue uh, between, of two world systems, which is the one that got him imprisoned for the remaining nine years of his life by the Pope who had formerly been. This is an incredible backstory behind this book. Um, and so that's an audiobook. It's 21 hours long. It's available anywhere you get audiobooks or on my website, briankidding.com. 
But if your listeners go to briankeating.com slash list, uh, they'll see an, uh, a form that they can fill out, and I will send them a piece of meteorite space dust from the early solar system, our planetary society, if you will, uh, that it used to be. So if you go to my website, it's only people in the USA, uh, uh, unfortunately just from shipping demands and so forth. But if you go there, and then you can check out my books uh, that I've written there. You can download a copy of the audio books, or you can buy a physical copy of the physical books. Uh, Think like a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, into the impossible and losing the Nobel Prize or Galileo's dialogue. But yeah, don't miss your chance to get a fragment of the early planetary system, (laughs) a.k.a. a meteorite. Thank you, Brian. Have a great time this week with your colleagues. And I sure look forward to uh, first light from that amazing observatory. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. It's always great to see you and in person without a mask. I love it. UCSD experimental astrophysicist Brian Keating at last July's We Are Cosmologists public event in San Diego, California. You can learn about the Simons Observatory and much more at planetary.org radio. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt Kaplan in his final episode of Planetary Radio. Please subscribe to the, hear the new guest, Sarah Alamed, uh, who will hopefully uh, be featuring more great content just like Matt has done for a decade now. And just a reminder, leave a rating and a review of the podcast. We're up to 700 ratings around the world, 525 just in the USA, and I read each and every one of them. Uh, and I thank you so much. Subscribe to my mailing list at briankeating.com slash list for your chance to win a real piece of space schmutz, a meteorite. You'll enjoy that, I know. And for now, I want to wish you a wonderful and magical rest of your week. Take care. Mm-hmm.